red, white, and blue. By saying these colors, you probably already have an image in your mind. Our official American flag didn't happen until 1777, when Congress passed an act establishing an official flag for a new nation. The resolution stated, resolved that the flag of the United States be 13 stripes, alternate red and white, that the union be 13 stars, white in a blue field representing a new constellation. In 1949, President Harry S. Truman officially declared June 14th as Flag Day. But more than 200 years after the first establishment of a flag, it symbolizes more than a nation. Our audio production manager, Kiri, and I drove around the Bayview neighborhood to ask folks if they did or didn't have an American flag flying in front of their doorsteps. And there were a lot of knocking. Maybe some people weren't home, it was a Monday afternoon, or perhaps they just didn't want to answer the door, but we did get a few responses. What does the American flag mean to you? It means freedom, personally. Yeah. Uh, it's a symbol of our freedom and, and our unique place in the world. I think when people display it, I see them as trying to show a patriotism that is more conservative than I care to be associated with. And so it's not something that I align myself with. Why were you compelled to have the American flag on your doorsteps? Relatives that were in service previously. I've always had the flag yeah. up. Always. I don't have to fly it to honor it. What does the American flag represent in the year of 2022? To some, it symbolizes freedom. And to others. Very almost intolerant and belligerent view that it was like either you're with us or you're against us. That's Cynthia Wade, an Academy Award winning filmmaker talking about her latest National Geographic documentary, The Flagmakers, created alongside award-winning director Sharon Liza. The story hones in on a manufacturing company, Eater Flag, in Oak Creek, Wisconsin. In Eater Flag, they sew and ship five million American flags a year. The Flagmakers are locals, immigrants, and refugees. This is uniquely Milwaukee. It's everything you love about community stories, but more in depth. Giving the stories the time and attention they deserve. Changing perspective one episode at a time. I'm your host, Salam Fathayed, and this is Uniquely Milwaukee. Stories that stick with you. When I moved from Serbia, it surprised me a little bit how much Americans love their flag. This documentary shows the brilliant heart and the people who make over 5 million American flags every year at Eater Flags in Oak Creek. The documentary, The Flagmakers, won Best Documentary Shore at the SCAD Savannah Film Festival and the Audience Award at the Denver International Film Festival. And it just so happens that Giannis Anatokounmpo is the executive producer. Lots of wins for our city and the people that live here. I sat down with documentarian Sharon and Cynthia to discuss the flag makers, the process of making the film, and key storytelling within the documentary before it hits Disney Plus on December 21st. Cynthia is speaking first. What was like the inspiration behind the flag makers? I think that the genesis of the film was 
really born from our discussions about how increasingly uncomfortable we both felt around the American flag. It just increasingly felt that if somebody had a flag flying from the back of their pickup truck, flags in front of homes, uh, stickers, that it was on cars, that it was really signaling a very narrow and particular, very conservative, very, I'll always stand, very almost intolerant and belligerent view that it was like either you're with us or you're against us that sort of defied any kind of nuance or sort of a sense of a pluralistic society. And, you know, I've been thinking a lot about our democracy and the fragility of our democracy and this kind of messy, beautiful and flawed experiment that we live in every day. And will this democracy survive? So when Sharon talked to me about the Kansas flag factory. And then we found the Wisconsin flag factory. It was really like, wow, we could be following people who literally are you know, working with the fabric of our nation in this literal mm. sense. And from that literal sense, could we then emotionally and intellectually kind of think about, explore the, the fabric of our country? And I'm just interested in like the whole process of filming this. Every single person from Sugar Ray, from Barb had to get really personal that it takes it takes a lot of trust. You have to build that relationship for from both of you guys as filmmakers. What was that process like for you where you're trying to move the story forward, but you also want to stay true to the people that are, you know, giving you their life, essentially? Yeah, I mean, that's always something when you're doing a documentary. The quality of what you are able to film really is a reflection of the relationship that you have with the people. And that trust is it's it's kind of earned every time you shoot. So it's not just you earn their trust and then you can do whatever you want. It's a back and forth. There are so many stories that we were not able to tell that we were aware of because of safety reasons for some of the employees and the subjects. And, you know, we we honored that. The film took three years to make. It was, we started this in July 4th week in 2019 and we didn't have any money. It started as an independent project. We actually brought mostly a bunch of interns. So there were interns sort of spread out on the airport hotel in Milwaukee, spread out in different rooms with sleeping bags. And we just sort of went all in. It was almost like a summer camp, like a film camp. And so we filmed initially the parade in Oak Creek, Wisconsin, which is in the film. And, you know, obviously in summer and fall of 2019, as filmmakers, we're like, okay, great, we're gonna embed in the factory and we're gonna be all in. And then of course, six months later, with a global pandemic rolling across the globe and across the country, it stopped our access into the factory. So for long periods of time, we did not have access to the factory and all of that cross-pollination that we wanted to be able to capture, that deliciousness of just different employees from different parts of the world communicating and connecting and working together and eating and all of that stuff, it was gone because of course they all had on shields and masks and there were plastic partitions between them. So Sharon and I spent a good, I would say at least eight months driving around the country and following flags in communities around the country because we thought, okay, if we can't get into the factory, maybe that's the starting place, but we're really following flags in different communities where there's a struggle a challenge, something has erupted around a flag. So Sharon drove all the way to North Dakota because there was a flag story. We shot in Mississippi, we shot in Florida, we shot around the country. But as 
we were able to get back into the factory and that did mean driving to the Midwest and quarantining for two full weeks before even being allowed to get back into the factory. So it was just a lot of time investment. We came back to the original idea of, you know, just this beautiful place in these four walls. Well, you both came into it with some expectation, like this thesis. Was there anything that surprised you both from the outcome? Wow. Cynthia, you go ahead. (laughs) I mean, part of what was surprising to me was really how emotional I felt. Like I really, you know, it started as curiosity. It started as like, why do I feel uncomfortable with the American flag? Like when I was a kid, Fourth of July parades were really exciting and going to see the fireworks and we would go see our grandparents. And my grandmother actually had a room that was all red, white and blue. So I associated red, white and blue with her. And um, it was very sort of New England house. And, you know, there'd be the small town parade. And so there was sort of this nostalgia. Of course, as a child, I wasn't unpacking any of that. And I wasn't unpacking sort of like the stories that you're taught in school, right? Like there's a certain version of American history that you're taught. And so it took being an adult and, you know, increasingly living with this discomfort to really begin to think about the varied ways in which the flag is either used or weaponized. And so for me, I think I was quite emotional making this film. And I think as we moved through the summer of 2020, as we moved through into early 2021 and the January 6th insurrection, And the flag then literally was weaponized, right? It was literally used as a weapon on the steps of the Capitol. I think that I thought that we were going to make much more of a, maybe sort of a visual poem or a visual piece about the flag. And for me, it became much more of an emotional narrative. I mean, we also got to know the people that make the flag and got to witness their relationships with each other. And that was pretty amazing and unexpected. We knew we were going into a place that had a diverse employee pool, but we didn't know that they would be so connected. And though they didn't speak each other's languages and they would find that the humanity that was there was so, it was just, it was overwhelming and it was beautiful because they found a way for one single purpose to figure out who was going to do what part of the flag and get these flags, 5 million of them out the door every year. And they forged very beautiful and important relationships with each other, even when they didn't have the same beliefs. Coming up next, we'll be having an in-depth, unguarded conversation about the heart of the documentary, the flag makers, one being Ali, war survivor from Iraq, who learned how to use a sewing machine after arriving in the United States just 90 days prior, and Sugar Ray, a black man born and raised in Milwaukee and a production supervisor who handles flagpoles. And later, those flagpoles were used as a weapon. Support for 88.9 comes from your membership and the Greater Milwaukee Foundation. Through the Greater Together campaign, the foundation and community work together to build a thriving Milwaukee for all. Partnership ideas at greatermilwaukeefoundation.org. The Flag Makers follows the hands and the people who make America's most prominent symbol. And it dares to ask the question of who is the flag for? It was a question that I thought about hours after watching the documentary. And honestly, it made me think about my interaction in relationship with the iconic symbol. And I keep going back to this quote from Radisa. 
She was the sewing manager at Eater Flags and a Serbian immigrant. I love America. I know it's not perfect, but that is beauty. You don't love something because it's perfect. You love something because it's yours. You love something because it's yours. Wise words. I can't get that out of my head. And the documentary doesn't hesitate away from those unperfect moments. Back to the interview. Thank you guys for talking to me about the process of making this film, but I would really like to spend some time and talk about some moments that really stayed with me after watching this documentary. And I watched The Flag Makers twice, and there were so many wonderful, compelling moments that really made me want to keep coming back to it. One of them that really stuck with me was with Adi, who fled Iraq during the war, and he was attacked in Walmart. Can we talk a little bit about that moment, you know, the process of filming it? Here's something that's kind of crazy and interesting about documentary filmmaking is that that scene of him making a call to a friend and telling her about being hit at Walmart, like just out of the blue hit at Walmart, that was election night 2020. And we had gone to film, obviously election day, all over Milwaukee and filmed the flag makers that could vote including some new citizens of the United States who, you know, had just newly become citizens. So we had this entire day of going to different polling stations and filming different flag makers going to different polling stations. Then I saw Ali and Ali was telling me that he had been hit. He'd been struck by a man at Walmart. And it sounded a whole lot like a hate crime to me. And I was like, wait, what? What happened? And so it was at the end of the day where he was on the night shift. And so I negotiated access with Jody, the COO of Eater. And I said, can we just film him? And as people were kind of trickling out, he was in a back room. I was able to capture with the crew this moment where he gets on the phone and describes being hit at Walmart. But the sort of the crazy thing is we went in thinking that all of this footage from the polls and the flag makers voting would be the thing that's in the film. But in the end, the only thing from that day that's in the film is that moment of Ali. Yeah, it was so compelling for me because, you know, I'm Middle Eastern, my dad's Middle Eastern. It felt like there was a connection there. It was the first time in a while that I've seen representation of a Middle Eastern man who was kind and just like a family man. And there's this idea that a Middle Eastern man is strict or violent or barbaric. So that I've connected with Ali. And then seeing that moment, it was just so raw and then, and just heartbreaking. But then right after getting back to sewing the flag, And it just, for me, it felt like this, you know, some relative or whoever's on the phone is saying that maybe people in this country won't accept you, but you're doing this thing that symbolizes this country. And it was just image that was very like, it just took me, it really took me aback. So props to you both for putting that in there. But why do you think these scenes are essential to include? You know, it's, it's not about flag making, it's more, but what, what was the reason by having these personal moments in the story? What we didn't want to do is create some kind of very surface, shallow essay where almost like a Benetton commercial, like, look, isn't it nice? Look at all these diverse flag makers. They're all working together. Let's all work together where it's just very surface. Like, you know, we wanted to capture the hope 
that we all still feel for this country, this democracy. But it was incredibly important to also for us to really explore the dark part of our country and the ongoing violence and the exclusion that happens in this country every day. And so the reason that the film took a year to edit was really we wanted to be able to capture both the hope and at least for me, sort of the despondency that I feel sometimes about this country and about the violence and the racism and the exclusion and the inequality in this country. Because, you know, both things are true. Of course, you know, I love this country and it's not perfect, uh, but you don't love something because it's perfect. You love something because it's yours. And so that I think was really important for us to capture both the light and the dark. Yeah, completely. Sharon, would you like to add anything from that question? Oh, I just, the other thing that, you know, is when Sugar Ray says, I love this country, but it doesn't always love you back. I mean, we, there are certain things you hear and you go, that's going to be in the film. Yeah. And there was another scene of Sugar Ray where he couldn't fully complete his sentence. He was taken aback with his emotions and you could totally see it on his face. He didn't need to say anything. Everyone felt and knew what he was referring to. Sugar Ray had a quite a few memorable moments. And one that really I would love to dissect a little bit more was I believe around the January 6th riots where he's watching TV with his children and on the screen is the news. Begin tonight at 10 with some breaking news. And Cynthia, you mentioned a little bit about how these flags were used as weapons. Can we talk a little bit more about that moment and unpack it? Yeah, well, Sugar Ray, is really important to the narrative of this film because he is a man, he's the production supervisor at Eater Flag. He's a black American and loves this country, loves his job, you know, is the production supervisor where 5 million flags are being shipped out every year. And yet he and his wife have had many discussions about whether or not they want to fly a flag in front of their house. And right now they don't feel like they can because it's a very, very complicated thing. And obviously he and his wife have very complicated feelings about this country. He is in charge of the flagpoles. So when the insurrection happened and flagpoles were being used as weapons and some of that got caught on you know, the news, Here are our flag makers, here's Sugar Ray with his team. They're shipping out these flags, they're shipping out these flag poles, and you don't know where they're going. But you see, at least in that moment, in the insurrection, that they're being used very viscerally and literally as weapons. And he's somebody who's trying to protect his sons. And we were filming through, you know, 2019 to 2022. So it was through the summer of 2020 with the killing of George Floyd and Jacob Blake. And, you know, how how are you raising sons in that environment and keeping them safe and also instilling the love that you have for this country, but it's so complicated. So it was important for us, particularly because the flagpole was used as a weapon. And that is what Sugar Ray's domain is at the factory is, you know, in part shipping out these flagpoles to connect this moment of him as a flag maker, but then him as a dad raising these sons in a racist America. So, and also like, this is the country that his kids are inheriting. 
So for them to watch it, I mean, you know, how do we ever explain to our children how complicated and how broken and sometimes how racist this country can be? Like it's, you know, as a parent, how do you even begin to respond to that? And so very much like Ali being hit at Walmart, but then returning to sewing a flag, like he hangs up the phone. He's told maybe you're not liked because you don't look like a quote American. And he hangs up the phone and he keeps sewing a flag, who knows where that flag's going, right? It's kind of the same thing with Sugar Ray. Like, you know, every day they're shipping out the flags, but who knows where those flags are going and or what they're being used for. Sharon, is there anything you'd like to add from that specific scene or even just in general? Well, I just think that from that scene as well, Cynthia, you know, said it great, but I also would add that it's what actually was happening at the Capitol and the white people, the white men who were allowed to do what they did. And we have Sugar Ray who had came to tears about what happened to Jacob Blake. That interview happened like a week after. And so here's Sugar Ray, you know, seeing all this happen where white men could actually storm the Capitol and nothing was happening to them. Before I closed off the interview, I had one more question to ask. I would love to know both of your perspectives. Has the meaning of the flag for you changed after the flag makers? I'd say for me, I mean, Cindy and I both say that, you know, since we stepped foot in there, we're never going to look at the American flag the same way again. And I would say that I have a broader perspective on the flag and maybe just a deeper understanding and an interest in it. And I also feel like I don't want it co-opted and I don't want it to be something that doesn't stand for me. So that got stronger for me. Now, every time I look at an American flag, I think to myself, I wonder who made it. (laughs) I wonder where this came from, this flag. I wonder, you know, I wonder what was happening with the employees who made it. At Eater Flag, an average of 10 people touch a flag before it goes out. So you think of those 10 stories, those 10 unique, diverse stories, you know, of those folks with the stars, with the stripes, with the packaging, et cetera. And so their sort of essence, I feel like, lingers on those flags. And so I think a lot about the people and the makers. I didn't realize this until after I watched the flag maker and visited Eater Flags that I've always driven past it. Oak Creek has a big Muslim community. A lot of my friends live there. I grew up near there. I still go to the cinema in that neighborhood. I still hang out with those friends. And I just, I never paid attention to that building. I mean, why would I? And then I learned that it's not just an ordinary building. There is life there, real, authentic life. People who are gathering in their lunchroom, connecting in all different languages. And even though they're not fully articulating what they mean or maybe fully understanding what the other person means, they're finding that commonality. People from Iraq, Serbia, Pakistan, Uganda, and Milwaukee, they all chose this city to make it their home. They sew the stars and the stripes and create a flag that to me, used to make me feel queasy and on guard. And I never really fully felt comfortable with it because I never felt like it was mine. And now I don't really think about that. I don't deny that there is some lingering truth in that belief. 
And now I'm going to think about the people who are making the flags and embroidered their own stories and identities within the threads. This is your host, Salam Fathayed. Thank you to Nate Imig, our executive producer, Kiri Salinas, our audio production manager, Brett Krasgowski is our web editor. Thank you to our marketing team led by Sarah Lar. Graphics and our wonderful logo is made by Aaron Bagata. Our community engagement coordinator is Mallory Wallace and Dan Reiner handles our social media accounts. And a big, big thank you to our city loving members for making Uniquely Milwaukee possible. If you haven't already, subscribe to our podcast and tune in next week for the next episode of Uniquely Milwaukee.